Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual and we have a hell of a show lined up for you this week. We'll be looking at Steve Borthwick's first England squad, Eddie Jones's shock return to international rugby, a hectic weekend of Champions Cup and we'll be having a chat to one of the most anticipated New England caps, Harlequins winger Caden Murley. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports, I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. Now, me and Goody again, it's all about us. But Goody, I don't know if you've seen Andy Rowe's social media. He's got <laughs> I haven't, no, what is it? What's happened? Mate, he's got he's got residency or something. He's I what? don't know. Something's happened. He's milking the cow, is all I'm saying. He's I don't know if he's staying long term or he's getting his getting his residency and then shooting back to New Zealand. He's used the UK and then now he's going home. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying. I'm staying put, mate. We'll see. No, you're not. Andy, bro, you keep telling me you're going back to New Zealand because that's the motherland. That's what you know where you want to go home and, and be a podcasting legend back there. What, so what, you're English now, are you? Well, I'm thinking, because I'm British, the easiest way to, if I want to play international rugby, would be to say I'm Scottish, probably. So you've got your residency. Now you think you can play rugby for Scotland. Have you got residency or do you need to go and like, as in say who the king and the queen and... Like who built Hadrian's Wall? Like, what do you have to do for that? Have you got it or not? So I've done all the tests. Now all I've got to do is go to a ceremony. So I've been invited to a ceremony where I've just got to go and sing "God Save the King," and then I'm British. And what if you get the words wrong, like a lot of the other lads do? Then I'm going home. I'm done. If you sing the anthem wrong, you don't get it. Yeah, if you if you sing it wrong, you don't get it. Well, I mean, let's be honest. If it was the Italian one, I think anyone <laughs> would struggle with that. Or the Welsh one, I the English one. I think you're all right to be honest. Do you know what? Funny enough, I saw something online the other day, I think it might have been on the Daily Mail or whatever, where it says, can you pass the test that they put in front of people to become a British citizen? And I thought about it, I thought I should click on that, but then I'm as English and as British as they come, so I definitely would know it all. But more importantly, Andy Rowe, congratulations. Thank you. Now, when are you going home? When are we, when are we trading you in for a better model? I'm never leaving. I'm, I'm staying put, guys, so you've got me. You've got me. There we go. Heard it here first. How are you guys getting on anyway? Well, I've got residency. Have you? Well, actually, you say that to go and get my passport from the passport office in Glasgow. Now, that 
was an experience an edgy it was an edgy experience yeah i mean like we just want to be here don't we we want to be here we want to travel out so i've done that and the bit of ruggers at the weekend i'm happy looking forward to the six nations it's come around quick but pretty content at the minute andy Rowe. thanks for asking well on that jim i thought you looked lovely on tv at the weekend so much so that you got absolutely buried for wearing your missus scarf, did you? Well, you say that. It was a cravat that I bought from the charity shop that the missus told me I should accessorise. And I, again, the point of life that I'm at, I felt comfortable wearing a cravat under me, Parker, big, thick puffer jacket. Not too sure if it went, but I was with the great Brian O'Driscoll and he did the majority of the interviews in his backpack. So that's fine. Anything goes, right? Anything goes. I think it's anything goes on BT Sport. They don't know whether they're getting the rugby right, so they've just gone completely mad. And said, do whatever you like. So I rocked up in a cravat. Goody, how was your week, mate? We didn't have a great weekend, to be honest, in the Goode household. My old man fell over at home late last week and he's in hospital. So I spent Sunday up at hospital seeing my old man, which isn't great. He's broken three vertebrae in his neck, Ooh. which isn't good. But what I do know and what I did notice, I was up at Wargrave Hospital seeing the old boy. And there's all this stuff going on. And I, you know, I live in down near London and we go into London you see the stuff about the train strikes and then it's teacher strikes and it's ambulance strikes and nurse strikes I tell you what nurses need a pay rise seeing what they have to go through in hospital and I'm not talking about what they do with my dad I'm talking about other people so massive shout out to the nurses at Walsgrave Hospital so yeah a sad weekend really but um, hopefully he'll bounce back this week and um, we'll have some better news we're in a weird place aren't we just generally in the world at the minute, in the UK, there's so much going on, so much negativity. But amongst that, there are pockets of treasures and pockets of golds and amazing people doing amazing things. And the NHS is one of them, Goody. So I hope your dad is okay and uh, he's getting the treatment that he needs. Well, I'm sure he is. Yeah. And hopefully he'll be all right. Well, something to look forward to, as you mentioned before, Jim, the Six Nations is just around the corner and we're going to be in London and Edinburgh for the Six Nations and our biggest live show stadium shows ever. We're going to be at the O2 in London and Usher Hall in Edinburgh in February. We'll be with Mike Brown and John Barclay in London to preview England and Scotland and in Edinburgh the following week with Andy Powell and John Barclay to preview Scotland and Wales. These shows are going to be massive. So just go to ticketech.co.uk and search for the Rugby pod to get your tickets lads bit of a shocker as well i've got to say it here now i've got to get it in early goody bit of pillow talk i don't know whether i'm going to whisper it beck's coming to the live show in edinburgh isn't she she wants to see what it's all about you what is she yeah i know you what and she's coming on tour she's coming on tour mate <laughs> who brings their missus on tour <laughs> i have never done it in my life is this to get you is this to get another smoke bomb no this is i think it's the handbrake it's the handbrake it's the ball and chain I mean, we're going to see James. We're going to see James, aren't we? If I'm speaking weirdly and poshly, that's because, like you said, Goody, James is there. So I'm speaking quietly. She is pumped. I've told her that Jay from Love Island is going. She thinks Tom Evans is going, but Andy Goode and Andy Powell will be there. So very similar. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, though, Jim, to be fair, I did ask my missus if she wanted to ever come to a live show. We've obviously got the one at the O2 in London. And when I asked her, she looked at me and she went, are you fucking joking? I mean, what, do, what do you mean? I said, night out, me and Jim. She's like, I couldn't think of anything worse than listen to you two talk shit, drink a load of Guinness and blackcurrant, and then pretend that you love me. I'm like, okay, well, I do love you, but, you know, don't come then. That's fine. So, yeah, my missus has got no interest, but Becky's there, basically, because she wants to see Jay from Love Island. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> but I've also told her that I'm an absolute legend. I've stopped saying it, but that's the she wants to see what it's all about. She wants to see what the hysteria is about, so... 
Yeah, I could be quite. Oh, I'm going to be me. I'm going to be James on the night. <laughs> Little James. <laughs> oh, Can we dear. get on stage and have a chop off? Yeah, you're bloody right we are. With a top off. What? Yeah, we can't say Yeah, that. let's do it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. That's it, mate. That, hey, that's the consensus. If you called up, his top's off, is it not? <laughs> there you go. Well, before we get on to the England squad, Dave Rennie's been sacked as Australian head coach and Eddie Jones is back, lads. Bit sad about that, really. Matt, I like Dave Rennie. And everything you hear about him, apparently, not that it means you're an amazing coach, lovely bloke, woke up to the news on Monday morning and I didn't see it coming. I know Haskell mentioned it last week. I saw him say something. He says a lot of things, but I saw him say something last week that the potential of that happening was there. But I feel for Dave Rennie. Yeah. Really, really nice bloke. Great with the players. The players love him. And they've gone all in. They've gone with Eddie Jones and... The whole thing around Eddie Jones is if anyone can turn Australian rugby around in a short time, he can. The issue is with Eddie Jones, we know, and again, sorry, Eddie, this is historically looking, he seems to be like a short-term kind of fix, as in get him in, change things up quickly, quick response. Australian rugby is on its knees. Australian rugby union is on its knees. I should say the league seems to be, and the NRL seems to be flying, but time will tell, and he's Australian, He's an unbelievable coach and all these things. And it feel, I feel bad because it sounds like I keep bagging Eddie Jones. I just think that Australia rugby, from what I've heard and the people that I know there, they need a kind of wider response to change there. I don't think they're going to win the World Cup. Is that why they've brought Eddie Jones in? Maybe they think they've got an opportunity to do it. I don't know. But I'm gutted to see Dave Rennie go. I've got mates in the coaching group as well who speak highly of him. More drama. Bloody love that bit of it. Yeah, you said that last week, you like the drama. And first and foremost, I'm with you, the whole Dave Rennie thing. It's it's incredibly sad when someone loses their job in that way. Especially, they've just had a training camp, right? So he's put all the graft in. Last week. Yeah, done the training camp with all the players. And there was good noises coming out of the training camp. Drew Mitchell was in there with some of the Stan Sport boys doing a bit of behind-the-scenes footage and all this stuff. And it seemed great. Next thing you know, whammo, Eddie Jones is in. So first and foremost, sorry for Dave Rennie. Um, you hope that he got one hell of a payout. Because when your job is taken away from you like that and that quickly, you've got to get a payout, right? Bottom line. Which brings me on to the Eddie Jones thing. And I've got no doubt he'll have a a big short-term impact there. I actually had an Australian mate text me last night when the news broke. And he said, oh, fuck, just as it looked like our back line might start entertaining people. Here comes Eddie. So that's an Australian who loves his rugby saying that, Eddie Jones is going to take the fun out of watching the Australian backs. They've got a great backline, haven't they? It'll have an impact, don't get me wrong. The big thing for me is, Bill Sweeney, are you asleep again or what? Because I'd love to know the details and not all the intricacies of the termination agreement. Eddie Jones was contracted till the World Cup, to the end of the World Cup next year. Now in business, in sport, in absolutely anything, if you hold that contract over someone, to a period of time, you can put them on garden leave. But what they've done is they've got rid of Eddie Jones and they've allowed him to go and get another job with another union that may knock England out of the World Cup. They may not. Eddie Jones might not have a big impact on Australian rugby, but he might have a massive impact. And there's only, if you've paid Eddie Jones out, how have you not put him on garden leave or how have you not 
restricted him from working for anyone else at the World Cup. They've shit the bed, Goody, that's why. And the bed that Bill Sweeney's been lying in for four years, <laughs> like, that is his bed. <laughs> Isn't they? That is his bed. Like, no one's shitting in it. So do what you want, Eddie. I put it on social media and people came back with, oh, you all said he's a rubbish coach and he's got to go. Well, the difference is, while I understand that, what you don't want to do is pay him out and then say, oh, we'll pay you out. But also, off you go. You can go and coach someone else. So bizarre from the RFU, bizarre from Bill Sweeney to not have had that written into the contract. The only reason to let Eddie Jones go and do that is if they've saved a load of money by allowing him to go and work somewhere else. If Eddie Jones was smart, he could have taken all his money or pretty much most of his money that he was due and then not have a restriction to trade and then obviously can't do the Australia job. So it looks like there's a bit more egg on the face for Bill Sweeney because he's asleep. Or maybe I'm happy to be corrected, Bill. If you want to come out and tell me the truth, come on here and tell me. Great for rugby though. It's brilliant. It's given us talking points. It's in the press. Maybe this is growing the game. Act like amateurs and it grows the game. Do you think that Eddie Jones's knowledge of England and the European game now will benefit Australia come World Cup time? Without a shadow of a doubt. It's intel, isn't it? Like Whether you think he's a good coach or not, he knows Steve Borthwick inside out. He knows how he coaches. He'll knows the, a lot of the players inside out. And even if you think he's a, his coaching time's up, and it was effectively for England... England might play Australia in the quarterfinals. Right? England might not play Australia at all the way it could pan out if Australia win their group. It may have no effect on England at all, but the fact that there is a chance means that the RFU shouldn't have let it happen. And I've got no doubt Eddie Jones, he'll, he'll wallow in the, the press side of it. And there's no coincidence they announced that last night just before... Steve Borthwick announces his first England squad. They're all Eddie Jones-isms, aren't they? Like, he, he is centre of attention and that's the way he lives his life and wants to be that way. But the RFU have allowed it to happen and it could be complete egg on their face if something does happen. Nothing might happen of it, but why even risk that opportunity for Eddie Jones to have a huge sort of in-depth knowledge of how England play and... Jim, you know what it's like. You don't you change call names, but you don't really change structures that much, do you? And you can read a load of traits of the players that he's lived and breathed with for seven years as England head coach, and it may have a one or two percent advantage to Australia if we play them, and it may be the difference. Who knows? We can only only time will tell. But the RFU didn't have to put themselves in that position unless it was purely to save money. So until Bill Sweeney tells me otherwise, he's still asleep. Let's look at Steve Borthwick's first squad. Owen Farrell in the squad and captain. What do you make of his ban and the Saracens game with Bristol counts as part of that ban? Go on, Andrew. This is on you, mate. This is GMO, TMO, sighting commissioner, all rolled into one. Well, I don't want to battle. Oh, hang on. Hang on. I just heard a bit of paper us and he's got some notes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to completely batter Bill Sweeney, but I'm going to have to get stuck into him again on this note. He's got bigger worries. He's got shit in his bed, remember? So you, like, as it is, there's enough going on. There's nothing. Yeah. Imagine having shit in your bed. There's nothing worse. So bigger worries here, Goody. Yeah. So effectively, Steve Borthwick has been very, very clever. He's announced the squad. They had the press conference. And in the press conference, he said that the legal department have categorically said to him that Owen Farrell is available for the England versus Scotland game, the Calcutta Cup game. Now, he's also said he's the England coach. His job is to pick the best England players available. So it's not Steve Borthwick's fault. It's not Owen Farrell's fault that he's now available. So let's just put those two things out there. The RFU, and they, they talk about complete independence from the England head coach to the RFU disciplinary committees and the RFU legal department. So 
Steve Borthwick, very clever, just saying, I'm the coach. I, this is what I've been dealt. I, this is what I've been told. I'll pick my best players. And rightly so for Steve Borthwick. The one thing I'm going to pull up, though, Bill Sweeney did an interview last week. And one of the things he said was that England need to reconnect with the fans and demonstrate integrity. Well, first and foremost, reconnect with fans, great. We, we saw and heard all the booing at Twickenham in the last game. But the, the second part of that statement demonstrate integrity there's absolutely zero integrity in the decision to write to Saracens and say that Owen Farrell is available for the Saracens against Bristol game which is the game before the Six Nations where no England player that's going to be named in the match day 23 or a 25-26 man squad for the Scotland game ever gets released for that last premiership game before the first game of the Six Nations so we all know Owen Farrell has been named as captain he's on that team sheet unless he's injured for England against Scotland Calcutta Cup. So the week before, there's absolutely no chance he'd be playing for Saracens, whether he was in the squad or not in the squad, banned or not banned. But the RFU have gone to the nth degree to write to Saracens to say, we are making him available for that game. Therefore, it's the last game of his ban because he's going to do the tackle school week as well, which you know loses a week of of the ban. So effectively, the RFU, again, circumnavigating the, the rules, making loopholes available to themselves to suit themselves which I get but don't then come out Bill Sweeney and say we're going to demonstrate integrity because there's absolutely no integrity in what they've done at all and it makes the disciplinary process look like an absolute shit show to be honest you know we can't ever complain about any other countries doing their own thing Australia did it Darcy Swain had all of a sudden he was playing in two A games as well Australia A games the French have done it with DuPont, it's just become a farce and World Rugby needs to take a long, hard look at it. So there's no integrity, effectively. But as an England fan, Owen Farrell, he'd have served his ban. He's going to be our skipper against Scotland and the Calcutta Cup is coming home, Jim. I should say as well, we don't want to laugh about it, but we can because there's so much going on at the minute. There's a funny video doing the rounds. You know, when you talk about history of players and high tackles and someone's put a montage together, Owen Farrell's like greatest hits or something, but it's the high tackles to show that he has got history. And then they've overlaid it with the uh, Celine Dion song, once more you open the door. And they've got someone playing like the flute. It's hilarious. And then when you look at that and it puts it into a bit of context, it's madness. But again, it's the drama that's surrounding rugby at the minute. You know, I'm laughing about the montage that's gone out there and also about how the RFU and how other unions are dealing with the disciplinary process. But I don't know. He shouldn't be playing against Scotland is what I think. But adds to the Scotland game, doesn't it? The fact that he is playing he'll be up against Finn Russell. If Finn Russell plays and he's Max McGregor, who knows? Be good for the new Netflix docker. What, that comes out in a year's time or something? Bizarre. Everyone keeps talking about drive to survive, don't they? Like As in rugby needs content, it needs refresh it needs access i don't want to be a knob and sound like i told you so said that for seven years since i've been at rugby pass and no one gives you access <laughs> unless you're the barbarians to be fair leicester did we did the academy stuff we'll wait and see how that series comes out but it's a weird one isn't it so they're, they're doing it during the six nations and i had heard some a bit of bad press around it because the rfu had signed the contract without listening to what the players said about it and consulting the players so I think there's a bit of back and forth around the disappointment from the players' side that they weren't listened to when they got sat down and asked questions about it. But also, you're doing a Six Nations Drive to Survive rugby documentary for 2023, but you're not putting it out to 2024. 
just let you know there's been a World Cup in between that as well. So who's <laughs> interested? Yeah, like it's it, it's crazy. Get it out, do it, and put it out as it's going, or do it as it's going, or do it in put it out in April May time at the end of the Six Nations where you can build it up and there's a storyline because England have won the Grand Slam under Steve Borthwick. But yeah, to put it out in 2024 just before the 2024 Six Nations when there's been a World Cup, it's old news, boys. Here we go. What they should do is what they do in boxing, to build up a boxing match. And this is where the budget comes into it, the access, the understanding. Before the England-Scotland game next week, get the cameras in there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Get 100 people on the edit on Thursday and then bring out the documentary the day before in the build-up, the night before, to get people desperate to watch the match. You'll have historic footage and you build up every single game like that along the way. And you put it out across your content channels. Putting out a year later, like Goody said, I mean, that's where we're at at the minute, aren't we? Like People think they know how to grow the game. They want to grow the game. But when it comes to it, it's just not done right. Hey, look, I might eat my microphone at the end of it. It might come out and it might be amazing. Drive to Survive has grown Formula One in markets they didn't realise were there. It's freshened things up. It got a bit of backlash and it got a bit of pushback from some of the drivers, some of the teams or whatever. Also, they put tens of millions of pounds and dollars into that series. I don't know what's going to happen with this one. You know, if it doesn't work, they might not put it out and it might be a flop. I don't know. But either way, I, I, it's good for rugby in a way because we'll get to see a bit of access and we'll get to see lads getting better. Well, by the time it comes out, Dan Cole might have retired, lads, but he's back in the squad. Why are you being horrible? He's being ageist. He is. He is. I mean, you're talking about the squad. Then you want us to comment on Dan Cole's inclusion at however old he is. You're talking about tighter props, right? And England have struggled at scrum time. And ironically, the two props that are considered number one and number three, the best picks for England, both playing at Bristol, who are bottom of the league and not going over in the scrum either. So Coley can scrummage to the couch ends and back, can't he? He's added to his game. He's been in sparkling form for a tight head for Leicester over the last 18 months. And Steve Borthwick's the coach again, who isn't ageist. He isn't going in there with necessarily any preconceived ideas about how bad players are. And obviously, you know, Dan Cole got pushed aside since the World Cup in 2019 when Slavka ate our scrum to bits. But Slavka ate our scrum to bits in November as well with Genge and Sinclair. So, I, I mean, he's picked what he considers the best three tight heads in Carl Sinclair, Dan Cole and Joe Hayes. And it's not a position where you can actually list off five or six other options, is it? Across England, it's a bloody tough position to play in. And... You know, these are the best three they're looking at. So Coley, doesn't matter how old he is, Steve Borthwick, his mantra he's come in, he listens to his press conferences, he he puts a straight bat around any World Cup chat. And in nineteen days we're playing Scotland, so that's all we're focused on getting better. And the, we're so excited to run out and make the fans proud at Twickenham. So he's just short termism, which is right and great. First things first, let's try and win the Calcutta Cup back because Scotland have have won that too many times over the past five years. And then you go on to Italy and it will be the same again. Just got to get win against Italy and get better again. And then you're getting towards the big end of the tournament with you know Ireland and France to finish off with. With other picks as well, you're talking of props. I can't believe Valve Rapava Ruskin isn't in. Yeah. I cannot believe it. And look, Steve Borthwick, there's no better man to be picking a team, I don't think, in terms of how much depth, due diligence, stats, numbers, everything you hear. Like he leaves no slipper unturned. But I mean, Bevan Rod, I'm not saying he's not as good as Val Pava Ruskin because I haven't seen enough of Bevan Rod. But from what I've seen from Val Rapava Ruskin, Bevan Rod must be one of the best losers in the world because 
Rapava Ruskin is carving up. He's dominating every stat, isn't he? Every facet of the game, though, but it isn't just stats. I commentated on the game at the weekend. I watched the Saracens game the week before when he's up against a top-class, international-class pack. He's carving up the scrum. His work rate's through the roof. He's turning over ball. And at the weekend against Leinster, he's carrying dominantly as well. And I'm thinking, well, he is an absolute shoe-in. Yeah. I don't want to say that Steve Borthwick doesn't like Gloucester, but going based on the squad, I'm thinking he don't like Gloucester <laughs> because he like he's the one one. He's he's the one the one one. He's the one one the one one with the one on his back. He's the one player that I'm looking at and be like, mate, he you've missed a trick there. He's 30 years old. Yeah, he's one of them players that you need to keep on side. I think in terms of motivation, positivity. He ain't played better. He ain't going to play better. This is as good as he gets. Now's the time to pick him ahead of a World Cup. Not even in the squad. Madness. IMO. Who are the other notable omissions for you guys? Ollie Lawrence. Yeah, that's the big one for me. He's been ridiculously good for Bath. And you talk about... I read it last week when Nick Evans did an interview. I don't know where to say this because I interviewed Nick Evans pre-match before a game. I'm going to say it. Nick Evans said... Yeah, say it, mate. It's our fault. He, he said to me... On the interview, the Q&A, and he might have been joking, he might have had a few beers, so we'll give him that bit of slack. He said the Owen Farrell at 12 and Marcus Smith at 10 just doesn't work. And then he's been named as England coach last week. He says, I think it can work. I think it can work. So <laughs> No, he didn't. <laughs> he did. No, he did not. He did. So, I, I mean, the Ollie Lawrence one for me, does it mean that they're looking at Farrell still as a 12? Well, we've had this debate on here endlessly now for the last few weeks during November as well. And Owen Farrell, whether you like him or not, is the best 10 on form currently in Europe, if not the world. And I'm just talking recent form, obviously New Zealand aren't playing and all that stuff. And South Africa aren't playing internationally, but their players are playing in various guises and Australians aren't playing. But Owen Farrell's form at 10 is ridiculous. Now, Marcus Smith did exceptionally well on Sunday against Racing, some sparkling moments, but you need Faz at 10 for England, I think, and Smith on the bench, which means you need to look at the centres and the fact that they've picked Finn Smith as well in the squad makes me think even more that actually Farrell could be looked at seriously as a 12, which means Ollie Lawrence isn't in the squad. So Ollie Lawrence, the big one for me about how exciting he's been, how he's played, the centre conundrum that we keep finding ourselves in. Well, disappointed he's not in. Obviously, there's Manu, there's Henry Slade, but you know, from a centre perspective, good to see Joe Marchant back in there as well. Poor Joe Marchant, right? He was told by Eddie Jones he's he's not good enough for England. So he signs a contract with Stade Francais to start post-World Cup. Quinn's obviously said there wasn't enough room in the salary cap for him as well. So he's ended his international career post-World Cup by going to play in France. And now Steve Borthwick's picked him in his first squad. So I wonder if he's trying to get out of that contract so he can play for England again. Unless they change it. Unless they change it, of course, yeah. Which um, I think they might. So we'll see. But yeah, I mean, Ollie Lawrence is a big one for me. The big talking point, Billy Vanapola as well. He's not in it. Mm. Other names, Johnny May's not in it as well. A seasoned international, he's not playing that well. And and what I like about the squad, realistically, is, and Steve Borthwick made a point about saying it, he said, I picked on form and I picked on players that are playing very well in the premiership, which is the opposite to what Eddie Jones used to say. Oh, mate, premiership doesn't matter, mate. Premiership form's not the same as international, mate. So I like that from Borthwick. Jack Noel, another one. Some big names missing, but you can only sort of respect Steve Borthwick for you know picking some players on form. Caden Murley being one that we banged on about. Ollie Hassel-Collins being another. Billy Vernapole is a big one though, isn't he, Jim? Mm. 
He is a big one, yeah. And I interviewed him last week on the Big Gym Show, if anyone wants to listen to that. That's out next week. But it was interesting because he spoke about how he's spoken to Steve and what Steve wants of him in terms of stats. So he was hitting Billy with stats. And when you look at numbers of players, it's like, all right, you can read too much into stats, but he's clearly big on output. And he's looking for breaks and he's looking for busts off Billy. And if you look at Billy play recently, he's not had it. He's getting double, triple team by players. So, you know, that's up to him now to go and find that kind of form that Steve wants him to try and find or become that player that Steve wants him to be. They've got history in a good way. They played together when Steve was at Saracens. So he'll know Billy inside out. But again, Steve's a smart coach, right? He knows what he wants. He knows how to play the game. He knows how to coach the game. He knows what's going to fit for England in that game plan. And Billy is a big loss. I do th- I do think that. I think that he's an international standard player, even if he's at 80%. But you look at the players that he's picked ahead of him or ball carriers. You look at Jack Willis, injury-free now, playing over in Toulouse, playing well by all accounts and from the snippets that I've seen. Benno carving up, different type of carrier. Sam Simmons. This is his last chance to learn because he's off to Montpellier. <laughs> I think they'll change it. I do think they'll change it. And because Tom Curry's injured, they brought his brother in, Ben, just because he looks like him. I'm joking. <laughs> ben Curry's a quality player as well. Yeah. But it is, there is a shift, isn't there? And I think I've spoke about it maybe last week, the week before, in terms of the carrying ability of players now. It's not gone of the days of your big carriers that can get through the yards, which is so important. It's the explosive power, the wider channels, that kind of manipulation with footwork, uh, busting through tackles. Meters after contact as well is a big one. Exactly. Meters after contact, like you said, which is the hardest one to get now. Because if you're in traffic, like Billy Van der always is, he's getting gang tackled. Like we saw at the weekend against Leon, he's got four players on him every time he got the ball. Maybe an over-exaggeration. Two, three, four players on him. And I think the same's happening with someone like Manu as well. Like Manu's not playing as well as he has done in years gone by for a number of reasons. You know, he's, he's getting on a little bit, the injuries that he's had, but he's also getting gang tackled by players. They know how big he is and how powerful he is. But Wouldn't you place value on people getting getting tackled though yes because it frees up space yeah it does yeah but Steve will have access to what he wants to have in a player and what he looks at in terms of a carry number eight Don Brandt slightly wider you look at Don Brandt's carries they come wider out they come from out to in he's busting the line he's offloading whereas Billy's like an old school bull isn't he and I say that in the in the kind of kindness of sense I love Billy I'd, I'd have him in my team but for Billy now, he's had a couple of setbacks with injuries, had a couple of setbacks of not being in the squad, then being brought back in. So it's up to him how he responds. But we've always said that the English back row, what a treat to be able to choose. Billy Van Apola misses out. Like there's a load of others that we can go through that could be there or thereabouts. Lewis Ludlow for Gloucester, for me, I think he's a, a, an awesome player, like an absolute nose. He's got power, he's got speed, he's a line-out option, he's a leader. Like, he's not in. You could easily have Plays him. Plays Gloucester, though, mate. You said Steve Borthwick doesn't like Gloucester. <laughs> no, but did I say that? I said he, he mustn't because he's not putting Johnny May or... Ruin Ackerman was close from what I heard, but he's not putting Val Rapava Ruskin in form loose in Europe at the minute. But yeah, like, Billy is the headline one, but you look at the quality that they've got. Ben Earl, he's the one for me. Yeah. I don't know whether Tom Curry being injured... And whether or not Tom Curry makes that first game against Scotland, I don't know what the news is on his hamstring. No, he's but Ben Earl, well, Ben Earl, mate. Yeah. This is it, mate. This is his time to shine. He is banging form. I hate going on about players that aren't in because I'm actually quite excited about the squad. 
One question for you, though, Jim, that I'm surprised about in terms of a non-selection uh, is Dave Ribbons, who you talk then about ball carrying and explosivity, ball playing as well. Is he not the all-round second row that can do the lot? Because he's not been picked. We saw that offload against Africa. I've watched him and I've always been impressed by him when he's playing for Saints. He's a big lad. As a second row, he can carry, he's got footwork. He looks for holes as well as the grunt stuff. How's he not in? Everywhere now, big second rows are few and far between. They just are. They just don't make us like they used to. They're just not coming through. But <laughs> he's gone for Mauro Toji in the second row. He's got Nick Azikwe who can play in that position. He's got Courtney Laws, Johnny Hill, who is an out-and-out second row, and Oli Chesham as well. So you've got that kind of hybrid position. So again, you're probably thinking about how he wants to play. But it'll be Johnny Hill and Mauro, right? But out with that, I think he sees Courtney as a second row. I'm not answering your question. I don't really know why, but I, Dave Ribbon's a good player, but he's going for proving. Johnny Hill's been awesome for sale. He's been Johnny Hill's been much better than he at sale than he has been at Exeter in recent years. Yeah, but I'd, I'd have him Ribbon's ahead of Izikwe, I think. Yeah, and Nick Izikwe was an interesting one. Massive fan of Nick. Coached him at Saracens. Mm. I won't reveal his injury woes, but he's had a really nasty injury. But again. You know, Steve knows what he's doing. Yeah, he does. And he, but they're just very similar. That's all to Ollie Chesham. Yeah. Nick is it weighing him. Question from Alistair on Twitter. Does Borthwick selecting seven Tigers players show favouritism or does it show they deserve to be there and he was doing a poor job coaching them this season? I mean, how many layers to that question from Alistair? Ooh. Basically, he's saying, is he favouring Leicester? And then why are they so bad when he's picked seven of them at the start of the season? Why are you being horrible, Alistair? Question is, I mean, it's better the devil you know. So he knows a lot of those boys inside out. Who are you saying from Leicester that he shouldn't pick? Dan Cole? Well, Dan Cole's probably in the form of his life. I'll tell you a good one. Dan Kelly, and I said it a few weeks back. You talk about the centres. We we didn't talk about him earlier in that whole conundrum. Good player, Dan Kelly. Rate him highly. And that's a Been select- earmarked for a while as well, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he has. He has. Played at Ireland under-20s, but doesn't want to talk about it. Speaks with the most northern accent you could probably... That's why he got picked. He's a northerner as well. The seven he's picked, uh, Dan Cole, Joe Hayes. Well, we talked about them as... There's not many other tight ends out there, is there, that you could seriously say are tearing up trees. Chesham, I think, is a brilliant player. When you look at his work rate and what he did on Friday night against Claremont, I thought he was immense there. Dan Kelly, is that a bit of favouritism? Well, it's actually, this lad can play. He's a baller. So let's give him an opportunity in England shirt. Uh, I, I don't think there's any favouritism. It's He knows these players. And he knows what job they can do. And the second part of the question is, around do they deserve to be there and was he doing a poor job coaching this season well they've had their own issues that we spoke about last week in terms of player turnover losing some big power players and if you pick them off the back of their win out in Claremont then they deserve to be there but you can find instances when maybe they don't but that's that's ruggers isn't it Jim oh that's our ruggers well Leicester had a hell of a win at Claremont didn't they 44-29 in the first game of the round and probably the best one of the best games of the round I enjoyed it Austin, all over it on comms. I mean, you talk about you being a TMO, GMO, sighting commissioner. Austin Healy, my goodness me. He don't miss a trick. Even if he makes it up on the spot, I believe him. Yeah. But Claremont, for me, attacking very good. Very, very good. And Austin on comms was talking about how brilliant some of the tries were. How bad was some of the defence from Claremont? It was abysmal at times. Like, it was shocking. Like, John O'Gibbs is there. And I say, because it's John O'Gibbs. He got sacked. He's been sacked. When? Why are you being happy? Why are you so happy about that? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked, but as in not shocked because of how bad they've been. When did he get sacked? 
well after the game at some point between I did he I did Friday, not Friday see that out, Andrew yeah. Good that yes well I missed that because I don't look at my French newspapers Le Keep and whatever it's called Le Journal uh, the next day he's gone so there you go speaks volumes to get 44 points put on you by Leicester who's done it twice this season like at home come on lads you've got Jared Payne you've got a great coach in Jared Payne as well the former Ulster player and coach and You've got Jono Gibbs, and my point was going to be the fact that he's a quality coach, clearly. But I'm looking at that defence. Yeah. Like, first phase. And yeah. Andre Pollard, not being horrible, it was great to see him back fit. Played well, I thought. Yeah, he did play well, but he took the ball to the line. There was that inside ball to Freddie Stewart that sets up Matt Scott on the inside. And yeah. Austin's like, oh, this is amazing. It was. First phase attack, intricate the defense lines. was... At- well, it was Fritz Lee. It was Fritz Lee. So basically... It was Fr- about 65. <laughs> Fritz Lee's drifted onto Andre Pollard, wrong guy. So he's opened up the hole on the inside. Dan Kelly's line to stop the tail gunner at the back line. It was brilliant. First phase attack. I love first phase attack. It's hard to pull off, Jim, because normally defences are so well organised, especially at that first phase. Everyone was on point with their timing, their lines. We're not even talked about Simmons' footwork, have we? Harry Simmons. Well, Austin was all over that. And then I mentioned it to Brian O'Driscoll. I was like, how bad was the defence for that? And he was like, no, that was that was an unbelievable step, which it was. But I was like, surely Racker's got to be making that tackle, no? Yeah, but the footwork on him, he's done him in and out, bang, gone. Racker's done Just that. Just dive. Well, no, but the thing is, Racker <laughs> has done that to hundreds of players over his career. And Racker's ridiculously good. He made, he made a couple of breaks, didn't he, for fun. But that try, when you talk about setting the scene for a game, Matt Scott's intercept after two minutes and then 20 minutes later Harry Simmons with ridiculous footwork and people probably looked at Harry Simmons and went well he's a scrum half winger yeah not really heard of him too much Claremont wouldn't have taken too much notice of him they know his name now don't they Racker he was literally grasping thin air trying to get him after he'd stepped him so yeah I mean brilliant performance by Leicester there was energy there was speed there was power everything they haven't had for two weeks they were on the front foot and a lot of that came from the energy of shifting the ball and being accurate with it. And it's like anything. There was a little high beating Gloucester at home when Richard Wigglesworth took over. Two tough weeks in the Prem. You've gone away to Sale, who were on some big form, and away to Newcastle and not performed in either game. And then you get a response, and it was a brilliant response. Claremont have conceded 40 points at home only four times in their history, Jim. Like, what a stat that is when you look at it. Four times in their history have they only ever conceded more than 40 points four times two of them Leicester Tigers I don't like to talk about it one of them I was in the team and played pretty well for Leicester back in the day but um, like it's just madness isn't it so John O'Gibbs sacked Leicester very good okay the defence from Claremont wasn't up to it at times but it's a great win for Leicester and um, you know sets up a mouthwatering clash this week against the Ospreys in terms of positions in the pool because as we talk about the games where you finish in the pools is exceptionally important to home quarterfinals, obviously home last 16 round first, but yeah, some big games this weekend. And all of a sudden, how exciting is the Champions Cup and the format and everything? As I said, you get to rounds three and four and it's only cast that are shithouses with zero points from their three <laughs> games. And we're talking about a lot of good ruggers, even Edinburgh in the mix, Jim. Yeah, Edinburgh are in the mix. I mean, their games have gone under the radar. Commentating on their game at the weekend, actually, against Saracens. Nice. Let people know. Don't know how, but I am. The big time. Well, Jim, you were at King's Home. Do you think Borthwick was watching that game, maybe? I think he was. I think he watches all the games. But Leinster, unplayable at the minute. Really hard game to commentate on. Great game to commentate on. And I say hard. I was chatting to Goody about this, actually. One, I was the second row. 
bloody good at it. But the nuances of the game around the mall, the scrum, the pick and go, the forwards play, right? Leinster are a level above any other team in this tournament in terms of their work off the ball, their deception, but how they take the ball to the line. And I'll get onto that about some of the players that played well. I was chatting to some of the Gloucester lads after the game and they were a bit down because they've just been pumped. And they were saying it wasn't necessarily the physicality and the power in which they played with. It was the speed. And what I said on commentary and when I talk about Leinster, it's this controlled chaos that unless you get under control at the breakdown at source, is near on impossible to defend. And they were on it from the start. I mean, Gloucester scored a couple of tries, both off driving lineouts. Leinster conceded two penalty tries off that and a yellow card. But apart from that, unplayable. And we'll name drop some people that were playing. Ross Byrne was playing at 10. He played well. Jamie Osborne, Brian O'Driscoll gave him Man of the match, 21 years old in the centre. Third choice. He's meant to be third choice centre. And that's the thing. You take out someone like Henshaw and Sexton as your 10-12, and you've got your second choice 10-12, Ross Byrne and Jamie Osborne. Like you said, Jamie Osborne, probably third choice. No Charlie Nighteye either, was there? So like the depth that Leinster have got are ridiculous. And these young kids coming in, they're all off the same production line. They all get how to play. And it always ta- I watch Leinster, and it always takes me back to what Bernard Jackman said on here a few months ago about how they're all just trying to battle to get to Tuesday training because in training, yeah. there's that many players just to get in front of the coaches and, and train on a Tuesday, whereas most normal rugby players are finding any injury to get out of Tuesday training because it's absolutely fucking brutal. So like, it's, it's phenomenal. The Leinster gravy train or production line, call it what you will, it's phenomenal, isn't it? Whoever's playing, they all get it. They all know exactly how to play. The lines, the layers of attack they've got. And it's not just like the odd back with a layer of attack. They're all in motion. The forwards can run lines like you wouldn't believe. They can handle like you wouldn't believe. They know where weak shoulders are. They know how to spot a defender and sit him down to create space for others. It's just phenomenal to watch. Yeah, Caleb Old Doris, unbelievable. But the issue for Leinster is, Goody, I don't know whether you've ever been in this position, I don't think I have, but Leinster have been in this position where you're winning comfortably every single game and you're not tested. Yeah. So when it gets to the last 16 and then potentially they could have a run all the way to the final in Dublin, right? Yeah. The minute they get tested by a big, big team like a La Rochelle, which we know have tested them in recent years, a Toulouse, a Saracens, just to name three, they haven't been under that pressure. Yeah. It was almost like, and I don't want to be horrible to Gloucester, but it was a fact, at times, it was like a training run. Yeah, you know, Mike, Michael Alatoa, the tight head prop, going straight through the gap, fifty meter running. I know he didn't go all the way in, but they ended up scoring off the back of it. But the line breaks galore. They just weren't tested. Gloucester gave it everything they had. They're littered with injuries, but that just shows the golf and also the journey that the two different teams are on. But no, it was an honour to call that game at the weekend because Lens are so good. On that, Jim, I have been there. When you're winning every game, you're not tested, and then you get to a knockout game. Worcester, champ. There you go, James. I knew it. I knew it. It was, <laughs> and Bedford, yeah. And Bedford nearly did us in the semi-final. The big t- it's the same sort of level, right? Bedford in a semi-final of the championship. Same jeopardy. Yeah, same jeopardy. Well, probably not same jeopardy because if we'd lost to Bedford in the semi-final when we, I think we scored with about two minutes to go to win it, we'd have probably lost all our jobs. So slightly different to getting knocked out in the quarterfinals or semis of a Champions Cup. But hey, I get the jeopardy, James. That last game of the weekend was pretty decent as well, wasn't it? Russ and Quinns. Mental. Yeah. Classic Quinns in terms of Rassing throughout the blocks. They look good, but you're watching any Quinns game, you're 21-3 down or whatever it was just after half time, and you're thinking, 
no bother. You know they can come back and score tries, right? We've seen it time after time after time. Their frustration for themselves will be the fact that they're allowing a team to get 21-3 up and then clawing it back. And then there's all the drama around all the yellow cards at the end and how they've lost the game. But it was a humdinger of a game. Marcus Smith against Finn Russell Builders, the big battle. I think Marcus Smith won it, to be fair, even though his team didn't. Can you imagine being Francis Saidi watching a video? He got rinsed by Marcus Smith about five times, bless him. So he did him on the try that he creates for Caden Murley. And you're like, okay, let's learn here. Let's not stand opposite Marcus Smith so you can get done on the outside. Stand outside him so you can't get done on the outside with a goose. Well, anyway, Marcus Smith then steps him on the inside next time. So <laughs> I felt sorry for Saidi because I've been there when Jason Robinson did it to me twice in about five minutes. And I look like a right mug even before and after Jason Robinson did it to me. But, yeah, it was a great game. I thought my mate, Andrew Brace, thought he handled it well. A lot of pressure. Oh, a lot of mate, big decisions. Hey, tw- hey, Twitter. Twitter was all over him. Not that that is a they were. showcase of how you've done, but he was getting absolute powers By Quinn's fans, probably. Yeah, Quinn's fans. And you look at the last decision, effectively. Okay, so Quinn's go ahead, and he's how Quinn's fans can complain. He's given three yellow cards against Rassin. He's given a penalty try to put you ahead. Obviously, the the back and forth with Joy Neville, he got. I think he got all the big decisions right. You look at from the kickoff, and that was Quinn's issue. They didn't clean up their own kickoffs, which led to the try just after half time. It leads to the three points at the end. Andre Esterhazen makes the tackle, doesn't release, and then goes and competes for the ball. Whereas Austin said, "Oh, there's two men over it. It doesn't matter." Well, I thought Andrew Brace got that decision right. Quinn's fans will hate it, but if you watch closely, Andre Esterhazen doesn't show a clear release of the tackle, which is what. Every ref is is told to look for one of the early things to look for at a breakdown is does the tackler release before he competes and do, or does the tackler if he's on the deck roll away to give a fair contest of a clean out. So I, I thought he he handled a incredibly intense atmosphere with players moaning left right and centre. I thought he handled it really well and Quinns should have got the win. They'll still qualify but should have got the win but didn't. I do agree with you on the fifty fifty call at the end. I re- tried to rewind and watch it back and it was 50-50 one thing though I picked up about Andrew Brace he's going through a bit of a treatment at the minute have you seen go on mate he's got a tribal tattoo on his arm that he probably had when he was 15 he's going through the laser process I can see it fading slightly on his right arm okay yeah so I should maybe be the tattoo spotter maybe that could be my thing well you don't need to ask him I can show you I mean he's got a tribal tattoo and he's a referee just doesn't you know I've got a few tribal ones shocking I've got a few other shocking ones, not just tribal ones, but Andrew Brace, tribal tattoo. I reckon he's got one at the bottom of his back as well. I reckon he's got that one on his arm and he's got a tribal tattoo at the bottom of his back and probably a Maori one on his leg. That's what he looks like he might have. I'll ask him. Ask him. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, You're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. 
Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Well, we can have a chat now with a man who scored a couple of tries again at the weekend for Quinns in that one and is in Steve Borthwick's England squad for the upcoming Six Nations. Caden Murley joins us. How are you, mate? Yeah, very good, thank you. How are you guys? We're very good, mate. Congratulations on the England squad, mate. You've been bang in form. Thank you. How happy are you with things? I mean, we always talk you up on here. You are in form. You look a million dollars, but obviously the big carrot at the end of any kind of tunnel is an England place leading to the Six Nations. How happy are you and your family? Absolutely buzzing. It's good to have a few other Quinns boys with me. But yeah, when I got the phone call last night after the game, yeah, it, was, it meant a lot to me to, to get in that Six Nations squad and hopefully now push for push my first test cap. Was it based on that game, do you think, or not? I mean, because I know I was chatting to Billy Van I've spoke to a few of the lads and stuff. I know there's conversation. Steve is quite open chatting to you, lads. You don't need to give us too much kind of insight. But did you have a gauge on anything or not? No, no gauge really. Uh, we, we had that little screening day. What was that a couple of weeks ago now? Just had a chat with him there on stuff I need to keep doing and stuff to improve on. Uh, but no, no real gauge apart from that until the phone call last night. Got a, a snapshot of the squad in the autumn with Eddie. What was it like when you were in there? Yeah, I, I loved it. It was a different environment. I mean, just being at Quinns for six years, you kind of get used to the same things, but going in and learning different things off different people, seeing how different coaches and different players look at things. Yeah, it was Bit of a bit nausy, but yeah, I did love it. I did enjoy it. What were the main differences? I think there's a step up in intensity when you go to that international level, which is just, it, there's, there's going to be that there. But I think the way they they look at things like the analysis, because you're in there 24-7 and you're with all the boys constantly rather than just at the club. When you're just in at the club, you look at it. It's just, it's just that, that step up. And the big news as well, well, there's been a load of big news. We don't need to go into the squad, but Nick Evans, we're massive fans of him. I was yeah. with the Barbarians with him a few years ago. Lovely bloke, top bloke, but a top level, a world-class coach. Has he spoke to you? I mean, he's going to have a huge influence, but has he spoke to you about anything particularly around attack? Uh, no, not really to do with England. No, he didn't He didn't give any inklings away or anything, even though we were given, trying to give him a few nudges. 
But um, no, yeah, he's a brilliant coach and his attacking mindset is something obviously us Quinns boys absolutely love. We love we love playing heads up rugby and his whole speed over shape thing and all of that, which which I hope will help improve England as well. What speed over shape? What do you mean? You have your structure. You have your structure that you play with in your game. But if your head's up and there's a mismatch or there's an overlap, it's sacking that off, getting your, your players on the ball that you want and just, just playing heads up rugby, basically. Yeah, so it's not off the cuff, but like you've just said, like heads up. Because watching your game against Racing, firstly, how good was it being undercover? Because it's been shocking weather conditions for you <laughs> lads. But the, in that stadium, but on artificial, so a fast track, and then especially that kind of second half when you got through the gears and Marcus found his feet as well. Like how, that, that was heads up, right? That's heads up rugby. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was an absolute dream for a winger. We were, we were literally saying it before. We were like, at least we know it's going to be dry this weekend because the last few, like I said, have been horrible. But no, yeah, to have Smithy back as well, he was pulling strings. Yeah, it was it was a class game to play, play in. And that, that stadium is ridiculous. Ridiculous. That heads up rugby. How do you train for that? Because it's, you know, you can train for structure, to be in a structure, but how do you train for heads up rugby? Because I know Nick Evans has got some sort of quirky little things that he puts you guys through, hasn't he? Yeah, we do We do this game called Bozo, which is basically there's three teams and you just kind of mix, mix and mix out. And it's it's pretty much like a big game of touch where you're just looking for mismatches. All the forwards, all the backs are in. You're just looking for those mismatches in on a full pitch, but only nine or ten of you. So you get more space as a back three. You're always keeping your heads up, scanning. So looking where the opportunities are. And yeah, that's pretty much how, how we train at Quinn's. So all the big lads are just getting skinned, effectively, and made to look <laughs> embarrassed. Yeah, pretty much. That is it's like hell on earth, yeah. especially after you've played at the weekend. Uh, how yeah. is the atmosphere and stuff for Quinns at the minute? As a young lad, it just looks like a, an awesome environment to be in. Uh, you've got some quality coaches. We just mentioned Nick Evans there, Adam Jones, just to name another one. Uh, Jerry Flannery as well, big fan of him. What's it like as a club? Brilliant club to be at. I mean, the environment is like no other. I'm pretty sure in the Premiership, having spoken to a few others, Definitely have our own ways of doing things, but everyone buys into it. And there's always a buzz coming into training. Everyone enjoys being in at training, I think. The way we want to play, everyone buys into that. So, yeah, it's, it's always really enjoyable to, to be in day in, day out. How oh, the boys at the weekend? Obviously disappointing to lose the game at the death, but my God, it was some game. Do you ever talk about why do you give teams such a good lead? Because I'm watching it at home <laughs> and I'm thinking 21-3 down. They'll still probably win it because they're that good at comebacks. What is it about giving up a big lead and then nearly coming back or most of the time coming back to win the game? We honestly don't know. We don't want to give teams that big lead. We wish we could play like we're 21-0 down from the start, but it just seems to spark that that belief and that will to play, I think. I don't I don't really know why because obviously we, we try and play from minute one, but as soon as that happens, we just everything just seems to click a bit more. We have our focuses and yeah, I, I honestly couldn't even tell you why, but yeah, it's, it's an exciting thing to be part of because you're never down and out of a game. Mate, Joe Marchant carving up. I sat with his dad at the game in Scotland last year and we were talking about his best position or whatever. He's back in the squad now, but as we know or as it's kind of out there that he's off to Paris as well. Is he getting a bit of stick that this could be the last chance saloon for him? Well, yeah, I think he knows that. I think that's why he, yesterday when he got his phone call after it, the smile on his face, he was absolutely buzzing to be back involved and uh, hopefully see him in that test match squad again. But yeah, us boys at Quinns, we've given him a bit of stick, obviously, for leaving us. But um, he's the kind of bloke who just plays with freedom. He doesn't worry about what people think. He's almost a bit away with the fairy sometimes, but I think that helps the way he plays. He'll, He'll throw anything and he'll try anything because that's that's just him. And on on the weekend when he was throwing those seeds on a nice dry pitch, it was nice nice to be on the end of. Yeah, he's a hell of a player. I was chatting to him in November actually when Eddie didn't pick him. I had him for a pre-match Q and A at England, 
and he bought his missus Holly and all I was asking about was what's Alan Shearer like so does he get much yeah. many questions about Shearer do you just chant Shearer Shearer to him or not what is he going out with Shearer's daughter, daughter yeah Alan Holly yeah. yeah no he's not yeah, yes yeah, he is yes. how cool is that yeah legend yeah he gets a bit of stick does he say much about Big Al no not really he keeps his cards quite close to his chest but um I have seen one video of him playing golf with Alan Shearer and safe to say March isn't the best golfer and his first <laughs> tee shot he absolutely shanks it the ball almost goes backwards yeah so uh, quite embarrassing to play golf with Alan Shearer and be shanking them off the first tee box do you know what the best thing do you know what the best thing he could do do you know what the best thing Joe Marchant could do? Next time he scores a try, just give it the Alan Shearer celebration, like one hand in the air and do that. Do any boys, I'd be, I'll be into him every day about it. Shearer's a legend. Yeah, I know. He's an absolute legend. But yeah, we, we do give him a bit of stick about it. Well, Lewis Rees-Summit used to go out with Paul Scholes' daughter. And I don't know if you saw the picture of Paul Scholes that was doing the rounds when he was playing. He might be a bit young for that, Caden. On the pitch, mate, as he was doing a sliding tackle, everything was hanging out at the same time. So Ginger pukes I'd rather, everywhere. Yeah, it was. That's it. I didn't know whether we could say that or not. I didn't know how deep we were going to go. Um, you just mentioned something there. You said a phone call. Like, do you get a phone call now? I, again, this is like, I sound like a super fan. Uh, has it changed now? Into, how do you find out that you're in the England squad? Who told yeah, you? It was a phone call from Steve last night. Really? Okay. Old school. Yeah, we we're in the Garden Hall. We were waiting for our Eurostar back home and we, we, we all got the phone call. And Jack Walker didn't have any data abroad so we're all trying to hotspot him so he could get his phone call through and stuff like that but yeah no Steve he said he wanted to give everyone a ring to let them know if they were in or not so that's how that's how we found out here's one for you Caden the very first time I got called up for England I found out on teletext you don't even know what that is you're too young (laughs) (laughs) how bad's that Uh, obviously you've got some intel there with Nick Evans going in as a coach brilliant coach brilliant bloke I know him reasonably well off the field is he's such a good guy have you been getting stuck into him as well saying mate am I in am I going to be playing is that or is he now at arm's length and he's an England coach and he won't be talking about that until you get in camp we didn't give him that much stick when he first got announced we all walked in singing the national anthem to our first backs unit meet and just give him a little bit of stick like that but no we, we didn't really try and push him too much to find out if we're in or not we just let let him go about his business and yeah we just hope that hope that he would put in a good word 25 grand a game you don't question the coach do you You just say (laughs) (laughs) how well do you know some of the other lads that are in there so like Ollie Hassel Collins like Max Malins like these lads that you're going to be up against have you come through the system with these guys and then the question that all the youngsters want to hear who's the fastest and all that palaver (laughs) yeah I I actually went to on the under 18 England tour to Africa with Ollie we shared a room out there so yeah I know him pretty well He's he's a great bloke and he's been absolutely carving up at the moment and Max I spent a good bit of time within the autumn because I had the link with Hugh Tizard. So it was me, Tiz and Max. We were, we were going around as a three quite a lot, which is nice to get to know him there. But yeah, they're good boys. Um, who's the quickest? I honestly couldn't tell you. Radran's different level. Is he? Yeah, yeah different gravy. Him, Reese Samit, when I broke through against Gloucester and thought I had him and then three steps later, I think he caught me up. So he, <laughs> he's another one that's that's absolutely rapid. But yeah, I, I couldn't tell you between between the other uh, the rest of us. You've got the uh, big game 14 coming up at the beginning of March. These Quinn's Exeter fixtures have been sensational for the past few years. That final, the game at the end of last season, the last minute win for the Chiefs this season. What are these massive fixtures like to play in at HQ? They're special memories for all of us and we absolutely love, love playing in them. To to be in front of like sixty to 80,000 it'll be hopefully in, in your club shirt and being able to play your way is, is always special but yeah, as Quinns obviously gives us a chance to put on a show, which we always always try and do. So, um, yeah, hopefully this year will be another good game against Exeter on the 4th of March. 
you talk about the coaches as well. Taboy Matson, every time I hear him interviewed, he sounds like a, br- a brilliant bloke and really honest and open in terms of his interviews. But he's been pretty honest and open about you. He calls you the complete package as a winger. Is that because the package is pretty complete or is he actually talking about <laughs> your game? <laughs> I think he's talking about my game. Um, oh, I hope yeah, he's the one. Yeah, Taboy's been brilliant. Yeah. Taboy's been brilliant since he came in and um, having those honest conversations with us all. Like you said, he's a, he's a great bloke on and off the pitch and hopefully yeah we can keep enjoying un- under him and get some results back last fanboy question from me right because this is do the round on tiktok as well marcus smith right what's he like in and around the team is he a superstar like are people stopping him in the street i know the, the whole rock nation and stuff that's going on but like being the fly half and stuff like that been 10 for england what's his profile like how does he handle it does he love it yeah he, he does love it but he handles it so well I lived with him for four or four and a bit years, so uh, I know I know him pretty well. But he's just so driven. I've never known anyone not switch off from rugby that much. He's constantly looking at ways he he can get better and he can help the team get better. His yeah, his drive is just something else. The way he leads us, he's because again he's only twenty three, but the way he leads us um, on the pitch, you can you can see it like in the game against Racing. The way, the way he played and the way he just leads us through his actions a lot of the time as well. I love playing with him, getting on the end of everything, all the magic he creates. So, yeah, he's just he's just a, he's a cut above. Does he have a crack or is he like serious the whole time? Like he's into FIFA, Call of Duty or what? Yeah, I, I, I whack him at FIFA quite a lot. So he's terrible at Call of Duty as well. So his video games are the one thing I'll always have over him. But yeah, he, he does have a crack as well. Enjoys a beer as well. Good man, good man. One of the things I want to ask you about him and obviously having lived with him for four and a half years, I remember when we had this, we were fanboying Henry Slade a bit when he first came through and was dominating at Exeter and we got some of the Exeter Chiefs boys on and we said, like, he's got to have something wrong with him. Henry Slade was good looking, silky player, like absolute baller. And they all came back with his breaths horrendous. Henry Slade had horrific <laughs> breath. So you're looking at Marcus Smith now, he's got the world at his feet. He's a world of a player, kicks his goals really well. He's obviously trains exceptionally well, pumped about the game and leaves no stone untouched. Has he got any bad habits at all? Any Let's humble yeah. it. Has, humble he got, it. <laughs> has he got a hairy back? Has he got a hairy back? Has he got, is something wrong with him? No. Only thing I've got against him, he's got some minging feet. His feet are always always like horrible, like dead skin, but he does love a little like pedicure. So he try he tries to keep hold of them, but that's literally all I've got against him. Mauler's toe, yeah, he's one of them good. Yeah. He, he's, he's like myself. The only thing wrong with me, I've got Mauler's toe. That's it. <laughs> he's got. I'm going to say he's got bad breath as well. He's got to have something more wrong with him than his toe, toes. But there you go. Good stuff, Caden. Thank you so much for coming on, mate. It's been class, and best of luck in the Six Nations, mate. Thank you very much, guys. Cheers, appreciate it. Class act. Cheers, Caden. Cheers, cheers, Caden. Mate, top lad, top bloke. Yeah, he is. He is. I like the, these young spunkers, if you're allowed to call them that carefree loving life at Queen's living the dream yeah yeah did it take you back you think back to when we broke through at Leicester you weren't allowed to have that much fun like it, they, those boys are having eh? it was graft um, well no it was fun off the pitch that was like on the pitch very different but off the pitch I think we had a better crack than these lads did well drinking maybe yeah but the um, what about skinning crack yeah exactly what about the boys getting skinned you'd be absolutely fucked at Quinn's gym yeah, we were skinning cats. You can't say. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's plenty of cards in that one with Quinns, so it's probably time to go to the GMO, the Goody Match Official. Five red cards in the Champions Cup. Was the refereeing bad? Were the TMOs bad, or were the players bad? Well, GMO Goody Match Official is here. I thought out of the five red cards, four of them, two. Nah, four of them, in my opinion, were spot on. 
All right, all right then. Apart Spot from Slade's. We'll cancel, cancel Slade's then. We won't even talk about that. That's embarrassing. Yeah, Slade's the one that Thomas Sharabas got completely wrong. So he's still having his biscuits. He was, he'd just come on for Matthew Reynau, who said he's too old. His hammy had gone at altitude. So obviously Matthew Reynau hadn't prepped for the game. He'd been on the, the red wines, I think. In, he'd been on the red wine uh, the night before, yeah. And probably, probably the cigarettes as well. I'm stereotyping <laughs> here, but he looks like a smoker. Yeah, so Reynau's come off. And then within, I think it's three or four minutes, Thomas Sharabas, uh, his replacement, has given a red card alongside the TMO, the French TMO, who I, I don't know his name. I don't want to know his name because Al Henry Slade's one is a red card. He's beyond me. Like his first contact, Henry Slade's knees are on the floor trying to make the hit on Arensa, who played ridiculously well. But his first contact is on his shoulder and he he slips up and catches his neck. Of course he does. But how he's got to the conclusion there, it's a red card. That's the one that's an absolute disgrace. I thought the other four, Ben Loder's one when he's coming across, he's got time. He should dip into the tackle. So there's a head contact there. Uh, I don't know. Just on that, can I jump in, GMO? Yes, you can. JMO. JMO, yeah. JMO, I thought the Ben Loader one, I agree with you on the other three, by the way. I mean, they're the ones that you don't want to see. That Ben Loader one, yes, you can see how it was given as a red card, but I think that one there was one of the hardest things to do in rugby. He's just got caught, and in that split second of getting caught, he didn't know whether to go, he didn't know whether to stay, and then by that point, he just didn't have enough time to drop. And again, I put it out on Twitter and it's really hard to contextualise things on there, right? And you don't want to sound like a knob by saying, if you've never played the game, you'll never understand. That's effectively what I did, um, did. on there. And I said that <laughs> because unless you've ever been in that position, I've not been in that position many times, but I trained in that position to try and go low in the tackle what, train, train, at does, speed. Trained as a covering fullback to come across and make the hit. No, as in when people have got footwork. Okay. So when you when you st- when you stood on the spot or you come up quick and then you've got to change direction to try and get down. Now, I could never do it, as we saw. I was a high tackler. I was a terrible tackler. Hey, you blitzed George North. That's all I know. And what about that clip? I was high. (laughs) That was a great clip, eh? I was high. Ball was ripped, everything. And it was marginally high, and it was falling. But anyway, mitigation. But I just think the Ben Loder one, for me, the the Manitoulangi one was a lot worse. The problem is, because he's upright, right? When you've come across at speed, and you've got a clear line of vision, and you're still upright, and there's head contact, that's where... And he got... Do you know what happened? The harsh thing for Ben Loder is he got the tackle got seen off the back of checking a forward pass, right? So in live play, the ref and the TMO, they weren't even looking at his head contact. They would they were coming back to check whether the last pass was forward to the player that scored the try. So he's unlucky in that sense, but when they go through the route of uh, the process that they've got to go through, clear line of sight, he's come at speed with force and he's not dipped at all. And yeah, people can say it's unfortunate, but when you're chest upright, you're not even looking to dip to make a tackle and you go head on head, then it's it's your own fault. When players have to learn. You you either can't, and I bang on about it, line speed, reaction times. Well, unfortunately for some of the players, the reaction times are so minimal because of your own speed that you're trying to get there or trying to put pressure on a defence. If you don't steady your feet, we used to get told steady your feet before contact, didn't we? When we were sort of coached, five or six, actually 15 or 16 years ago, to make a hit, you steady your feet, get them in position, then go and make the hit. Now it's just fucking get up there as fast as you can and try and win the collision. And that's the the mentality side of things that needs to change where 
you do need to brace a little bit before contact because you need to make sure you're not hitting someone up top. Therefore, you need to steady your feet and hopefully that gives you more time to dip and, and get under the, the nipple line, which is what I think effectively is going to be brought in soon enough because my nipples are around my knees, so I'd be all right. I wouldn't be able to get tackled. But that, that's the only way. That's one of the next progressions, isn't it, in terms of the tackle law of some of the trials that have gone on around the world. So on that, Goody, about the players' behaviours and the referees and the framework and all that, get it completely across it, agree with you. And in the framework, Ben Lodes was a red card. But I think going forward, that kind of incident shouldn't be shouldn't be a red card. That, that incident there could ruin, and not that it matters, and someone put a, a tweet out saying that red cards are killing the game of rugby. Imagine what some people are going to say off the back of that about head injuries and stuff like that. So yeah. I disagree with that statement, right? Because this is all about player safety. If we're talking about the game and watching the game, as soon as Ben Loder went off, the quality of opposition they're up against, you're like, well, they ain't winning this game. They did all right. They stuck in there. Then there was another red card and that was the end of it. Night, night, no biscuit. But that one I'd like to see as not a red card and potentially another card or a rugby incident. And then if they look at it later down the line, then they could cite him or whatever. But at that moment, there was nothing reckless in that. He didn't go flying out the line. He didn't try and monster someone. He was just caught in an upright position. So that's my point on Ben Loder. And then on my other point around player behaviours, I look at Les Kiss's comments, right, during the game, and you could see the frustration. He didn't go full noise, but you could see he was raging by it because of the moment that he was in during the game, the fact that they weren't going to win the game, and the red cards had a huge effect, and Ben Loder's was the start of that. So I did a bit of digging, and I was chatting to the coaches, I even spoke to Billy about it, about tackle technique of players. And I said to Billy and I said to Kelly and I've said to Deeks and I've said to Rave, I've spoke to everyone about the tackle technique. Lads are working extremely hard, right? And then on the other part of that, you were a high tackler, I was a high tackler, Owen Farrell was a high tackler. There's loads of people that you could name a high tacklers. Why can't they lower their height? Why can't they do this? Why can't they do that? It is inherently in you in terms of your natural athleticism in your tackle technique. It is not easy. It is not a normal mechanism for you to go Sam Underhill, Jacques Berger, Lewis Ludlow. That is a skill in itself to tackle that low. So to retrain yourself to be a chop tackler is, I'm telling you now, it ain't easy. People say, no, Brody Retallick, six foot seven, six foot eight, and he can chop tackle. Grant Gilchrist is the same. He was like a phenomenon when it comes to chop tackling. Uh, Luke Cowan Dickey, that is a skill and that is like a super strength to be able to do that technically and athletically and genetically people tackle like that you can train it as much as you want if you are a high tackler and you've been tackling like that for 10-15 years I'm telling you now it is not easy to change my point is players are training them techniques constantly but when it comes in the moment under fatigue speed duress pressure 0.5 seconds to make a decision some players just cannot get that low. So that was my point on the Ben Loder one and some of the other kind of tackles that we've seen at the weekend that are high. But your other ones, I agree, like Cobus Visa and Jack O'Donoghue and Parkers as well for London Irish. I agree. The other thing that does need to change, I tweeted about it over the weekend. We saw, and I can't remember who the Stormers player, it might have been Dion Ferry, the Stormers player, when Parkers cleaned him out in the head, and it's a red card, no issues with this at all. It's a red card. He's gone with a tucked arm, blitzed his shoulder into his head. And there might have been you know, a bit unlucky because he moved at the last minute in the ruck. But if you're flying into a ruck with your shoulder tucked, there's no mitigation really, whether it's last minute change. You, you made that decision yourself. But the one thing that rugby needs to clear up, 
and I'm seeing a lot of it now, a lot of players, anytime they're even touched in the face, a lot of them are going down now holding their face. If it's bad enough that you hold your face to make a point to the referee, you need to go for HIA. Like, Dion Fury got blitzed in the face by Parker, doesn't even go for a HIA. Like, how is that in terms of looking after players, player welfare, and all this stuff we talk about off the field around early onset of dementia? If in doubt, get them off for a HIA, and it might stop a bit of uh, kidology around, you know, anyone getting blitzed in the face has to go off for 10 minutes if there's a red card from it. If you're saying there's a red card because there's enough force and danger for a player to get hit in the head and there is head contact, no question they should be done for a HIA and, and see how if they're fit to play on because further down the line you you might get issues of what we're seeing in, in court and with the RFU being sued at the minute. So oh, that's a big thing for me. No, it is, yeah. But Billy said the same thing when I was chatting to him. He actually, in the final against Leicester, got hit in the head and he said it weren't that bad. But because of the enormity of the game and the small margins in the game, he stayed down, right? Listen to this. So he stayed down and then had to go for a HIA, even though he wasn't concussed, but he went down like he was in order to get a penalty. It's probably shit, quite shit outery, but he was honest and said it. And I said to him, mate, you had to stay off. You could have been the one that charged down Freddie Burns. You know what I mean? Yeah, so actually, yeah. but he said that players are doing that now. He said yeah. it's, that is what's happening because it's becoming that high stakes that it's not the football thing, isn't it? When you Simulation. see the footballers get into the penalty spot, they don't even go for goal. They go to try and get a pen because that, in a way, there's a human instinct around that, isn't mm. there? Because you're almost second guessing that something's going to happen. Or when Nick White got his moustache ripped off by Faf de Klerk. Mate, he nearly died. He nearly took his moustache. If someone took my beard, I'd die, I reckon. In some positive news, Welsh rugby's got something to cheer about, isn't it? Ospreys beating top 14 champions back-to-back games. I mean... Justin Tipperick, what a player. You could pick him. I don't reckon he could play front row. He probably could, actually. He could probably play hooker. But you could probably pick him in any other position on the field and he'd be one of the best players. Like, he could play 10, he could play centres, wing, fullback. Obviously, all across the back row. Second, He's a world of a player, isn't he? It's his hair, Jim, and you didn't like his hair the other week. Yeah, I'm not a fan of his hair. Fan of him as a player. How good, though? Uh, he's always been good, though, hasn't he? Always Yeah, been good. But Osprey's are a team in which I had to go a bit deeper this week because I thought, we can't just skim over them. Beating the top 14 champions back-to-back, you've got to do a bit more digging. So I spoke to our good friend, friend of the show, Tom Shanklin. I said, mate, Ospreys, talk to me. And he just said, loads of fight in the pack, loads of players bang on form. Jack Morgan, you're a fan of him. He said he's going to be Mm. starting for six. Well, that's what Shank said, but he's playing well enough to start six. The front row, Thomas Francis, Dowie Lake, Tom Botham, Nicky Smith. He said they got a good pack. Adam so the Beard. Scrums are, their scrums are unbelievable, to be fair. That's what I mean. So, like, as in right now, you've got to think, we've been on about Welsh rugby and the regions, and you look at the national team, the change of guard, you're wondering how they're going to claw it back. But yeah. with some of them players that I've just mentioned there, the interesting one for me was Owen Williams at Leicester. He was at Gloucester, didn't do much there. He was a big signing for Gloucester. I think he went on like silly money, like 400 grand or something. Then he was at Worcester, hasn't really done much. Now he's at Ospreys, carving up. Apparently going to be in the Welsh mix as well. Back on, bud. Yeah, back on, bud. Um, but yeah, you've got Keelan Giles on the wing and you've got a guy called Kai Evans, Yian Evans's son. Yeah. Who's carving up and playing. I say carving up. Shanks spoke to me about him, so I'm giving him a bit of a name drop. And then you've got Kieran Williams didn't play at the weekend. That Ospreys team, having not seen a huge amount of them, yeah. because they, they weren't winning really, apart from 
recently. So we need to take notice, Andrew. Joe Hawkins at 12, good player as well. Yeah. Very good. So it's a good win for them. They're in the mix. I'm looking forward to it this weekend. I'm obviously hosting the Andy Good Suite up at Leicester on Friday Neat. And they're in the mix. to try, They'll be pushing now to try and get in the top seedings to get a home last 16 game with 2,000 people watching well oh mate why are you being horrible you just talked to Mark and now <laughs> oh, you no, just, just... <laughs> you just stuck the knife in you're horrible man no that's that's not the players though that's the organisation 2,000 fans well Edinburgh had a massive bonus point win as well didn't they away at Cast they did now, Edinburgh been a bit hot and cold this season URC struggled Cast I, I don't even know what they should say before the Champions Cup, nah, no, just don't, don't want it. I'm not having it. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not here. Like, put us in, give us the money, but we don't want to play with the ball. We don't want to play rugby <laughs> in this tournament. Shocking, really, when you think about it. But yeah, Edinburgh, they've always been shocking. Yeah, they have. When you look at Edinburgh's team, internationals form. Yeah, international. You've got Pierre Schumann. You've got Stuart McAnelly. I know he didn't play. He's not been playing because he's been injured. You've got WP Nell, Grant Gilchrist. Cockers rates him in the top five second rows in the world. Quote unquote. Uh, you've got Bill Matter uh, at number eight, Hamish Watson, Jamie Ritchie, Ben Velicott. Sam Skinner. Sam Skinner, yeah. He's just come back from injury a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Blair Kinghorn, we've mentioned. Emiliano Buffelli on the wing. I'm going to miss a few players. That Darcy Graham was injured. Duan van der Merwe. A few of those didn't play as well at the weekend. That's what I mean. So in terms of the squad, if they're all guns blazing, and you've got to remember, beat Saracens last year, run them close this year. They've got them on Sunday. I'm there. Are you supporting? Oh, I'm commentating. I'm neutral, mate. Okay. Non-bias. Yeah, yeah. Non-binary. Yeah. Non-bias, sorry. <laughs> All right. Let's finish things off then with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, loads of good. Let's start off with Justin Tipperick's try for the Ospreys against Montpellier. Hell of a performance. He starts the move off with a kick, and then he gets the move to an end where he slides through for the try as well. So, hell of a player, Justin Tipperick. One of the best players in the world, in any position, I reckon, at times. We're going to continue with the Welsh theme in the Goud this week. Welsh rugby altogether gets a mention in the Goud. Ospreys back-to-back victories over the French champions, Montpellier. But not only that, as the Scarlets won, as did Cardiff. And hold on, hold your horses, everyone. Even the fucking Dragons won, boys. They went out to poo. No, I know, I know it's only poo. They've gone out and they've won away from home in France. Let's just leave it at that. The Dragons had a no, win away I don't in believe France. you. I need to see it myself. I need I need to look at this myself, right? You're right. They did. They did. So, Ow. I don't know. Naz, Luke Narraway, Dean's gone. Everyone's happy. I don't, mate, the Dragons got a win. Let's just leave it at that. So, the Welsh rugby public are going to be happy and all four regions got a victory. So, that's why Welsh rugby gets a mention in the good this week. Uh, what else was good? Elliot Daly, ridiculous performance uh, yeah. for Saracens. Fastest hat-trick in European Cup history. So, massive shout-out to my old teammate, Elliot Daly. Leinster, get a mention in the good. Played 15-1-15 this season. Even without some of the big names, no Sexton, Henshaw, no Charlie Nighties. A few boys missing, but... They were very, very dominant against Gloucester. So, massive shout out to Leinster. Edinburgh, get a mention in the goo this week, Jim. 34 21 victory down in Cast. And they've now qualified for the knockout stages of the Champions Cup with a round to spare. So, big shout out to them. Leicester Tigers, get a mention in the goo this week as well. Only four teams have ever scored 40 plus points at Claremont in their history and it's the second time that Leicester have done it so technically only three teams have done it Leicester have done it twice if you can work that maths out Jim massive victory for those boys Harry Simmons with a worldie of a finish leaving Alavaretti Racker grasping at air so um, a big performance I thought Ollie Chesham was huge as well that's a massive win for Leicester but the good this week we've not mentioned it really 
The goo this week goes to partially one of my old teams, but the three South African provinces that are in the Champions Cup, they all got victories. The Bulls beat Exeter, the Sharks smashed Bordeaux, and the Stormers beat London Irish. So played 3-1-3 for the South African teams in the Champions Cup. They moan about the travel, they moan about the logistics of it, but they're going pretty well. And when you talk earlier, Jim, about Leinster and have they been tested, well, they got tested last year, didn't they, in the URC knockout semi-finals and lost to the Bulls. So when you're talking about who could win the tournament, don't count the South African teams out because they're three from three this weekend. There's a few little cues next to their names and they're going to be a big threat whoever they play home or away. The bad, few bits of bad. We'll start off with La Rochelle against Ulster. The conditions were absolutely horrific. Torrential rain, wind looked horrendous on the coast out there in France. It was nil-nil after 63 minutes. What a game. What a game for the purists, but... Larishel went on to get the victory. So the conditions and the scoreline get mentioned the bad this week from that game. Better game than you would have thought, though, because I it did was. tweet about it taking the piss, saying like, as in summer rugby should be get your snorkels. A classic. Yeah, get your snorkels. Last twenty minutes was really good. To be it fair. was. It robbed. was. They were, were robbed. They were robbed, but they can still qualify. They beat Sale, and then hope that I think it's the Stormers do a job on someone else. Thomas Sharabas gets a mention in the bad this week for sending off Henry Slade. Uh, ridiculous red card decision. Never a red, so he gets a mention in the bad. Claremont taking 48 points at home for the fourth time ever. And now they've sacked John Gibbs as well. They get a mention in the bad. Uh, but the bad this week goes to the RFU's legal team and sleepy Bill Sweeney. Owen Farrell is now available for the Six Nations first game against Scotland. Uh, it's not Owen Farrell's fault. It's not Steve Borthwick's fault. What Sleepy Bill Sweeney said, they want to restore integrity to the RFU and the England rugby team. Well, you haven't started it. You've circumnavigated things. You've found loopholes. And basically, you've lied to us. You're a liar, Bill Sweeney. And a manipulator. And the RFU. So that's why you get the bad this week. The ugly, few bits of ugly. We're going to start off with Ben Loder and Jack O'Donoghue's high shots. Red cards, both of them. So they get mentioned the ugly. But the two players that get the ugly this week are Cobus Visa and Kieran Parker for their head shot clear outs with a tucked arm in a ruck. That's the ugly. You can he do it, Jim? Not anymore. You used to do it a lot, Jim, but you can't do it now. You can't tuck the arm and hit the head. A lot of players do. Mate, it's not, again, it's not a natural mechanism to go into a breakdown with your arm out like that. You dislocate your shoulder, but you can't hit players' heads with your shoulders either, or elbows, or feet, or head. There you go. So that's why Cobus Visa and Kieran Parker, you both get the ugly this week. Thanks, Goody. And you guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Right, I've got a big shout-out to Ballers and Jollers. They're big fans of the pod, and they're playing in their eighth year of the Cape Town 10s tournament. Very jealous. Uh, wishing you lads all the best. Have a few beers for us in the sun of Cape Town. It's miserable here at the minute, so very jealous. It really is. A massive shout-out to our old mate as well, Charlie Hodgson, who's running the London Marathon on the 23rd of April. He's running for Muscular Dystrophy UK and a donation would be amazing because he's putting himself through it after ruining his body playing rugby. You can just head over to justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Charlie dash Hodgson five if you want to help him out. I mean, when I read about Charlie Hodgson doing the marathon, I thought maybe I should think about it and I thought about it and I couldn't do it. So fair play, Charlie. You've got no air. You're a lot lighter than me, and that's a big thing to be able to do the marathon. So good luck, pal. Yeah, good luck, Charlie. And the last one is a sad one around a Coventry legend, David Duckham, who sadly passed away recently. All our thoughts are with him, his friends, and his family. An absolute legend of the game and living in Coventry, goody like we were. He was 
one of the names that always popped up when rugby was mentioned. So a sad loss. Yeah, definitely. He's a lovely man. Did a bit of work with him. You could always have a good drink with David Duckham. So thoughts are with his wife, Jean. Sad times. Thanks, Scooty. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Producer Rob. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby spot. Spotify pod, 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 pod. Uh-huh.